You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Max's Island. I've got Eleanor Brand with me. Hi, Eleanor. Welcome to Max's Island. Hi. Thank you for having me. Well, Eleanor, on Max's Island, this is the opportunity for somebody to tell us about that time in their life where they did something a little bit different, challenged themselves, perhaps made a decision that changed their life, or life threw them a curveball. Do you have a story around any of those? I think I've got a few, but there's definitely one that comes to mind first. So when did that happen? Probably about a year and a half ago, not too long ago at all. So the story that I'm talking about, um, it all kind of started when I read a book, which sounds very cliche in some ways, but (laughs) in other ways, I feel like books are such great tools to change our thinking. And this one certainly did for me. And where did you come across this book? I got this from an op shop. So I'm an avid uh, secondhand shopper. And yeah, every now and then I just look through the book section and this one jumped out. Nobody recommended it. This was just a chance finding it in an op shop. Yeah. And it was one in a million or maybe one in a hundred, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, they're all thrown in there together. So you just kind of have a jumble through. Did you start thumbing through it? and immediately go, wow, there's some stuff in here that really interests me? Or did it, well, did it take some time to really digest and have the impact? Uh, honestly, I think as soon as I saw the title, I was hooked. So I just grabbed it and bought it straight away. So you better tell the listeners, what's the title? <laughs> so it's The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying by Sorgyal Rinpoche. If I've said that right, probably not. I'm sure you have. <laughs> so why did it have such a big impact on you? And what was the impact that it had? What did it lead you to do? It's a really good question. Casting my mind back, I feel that I'm I'm a very reflective person. We're all reflective, but um, it's something I really actively enjoy doing. And the whole concept of, you know, thinking about living and thinking about dying is not something that we, we might think about it now and then, but we don't talk about it. And I certainly have never read about it. So... I think, you know, I was curious. I was just thinking what could possibly fill an entire book about living and dying? 
And then I was like, actually, there's a lot of education I have to do <laughs> in that area, obviously. And it's not something I have much personal experience with in terms of the dying. The living, yes, <laughs> but the dying, not so much. So I was keen to find out more. I guess there are a lot of self-help books that give us the guidance and provide us with a model to follow to change our life. Did this book have any of that in it or was it more was it more of content that sort of had an organic nature to it that sort of allowed you to, as you said, reflect, but then give you a pathway forward? Yeah, I feel like it's a very untraditional approach in this book. Um, it's quite hard reading in a lot of ways because you know, the flow of it, he'll, the author will tell stories and then he'll talk about an activity he did with his um, mentees and then it's back to a story or a life lesson and it's very heavy going material as well. So, I mean, I've only got 25% of the way through it, <laughs> even though it had such a big impact on me. So that's telling. So tell us, what did you do? What changed your life? Sure. I think first of all, it is important to mention with this book that this author, he died two years ago and a lot came out about him not being such a good person, to put it lightly. So I think I was a little torn on how I talk about this book, but I think knowing that he's bringing ancient philosophies that existed long before him and his way of doing things was his way of doing things what I understand, he was quite abusive to some of his disciples. But the philosophies go long before him, so that's what I'm going to talk to. You talk about philosophies. In what way? This book is based around Tibetan philosophies, mostly with being present. So we talk a lot about being present in Western culture. It's our interpretation of Eastern philosophy. But when it comes straight from the source, it has quite a different flavour. You know, Tibetan leaders, I think um, Sogyal was a lama. His, you know, he would say that every day monks would go to bed and they'd put out their hot coals and they'd turn over their teacups because they were thinking, well, I might not wake up tomorrow. So that was their level of being present, preparing for death every night. <laughs> it takes it to a whole other level. And that really struck me as... You can't be much more present than that. That's not planning for the future, or well, in a way, you know. And I don't know if I want to subscribe to that level of presentness. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that. Oh, that's the direction my life needs to go in. But, you know, there was certainly some elements there that I could apply to my life. And there was one exercise in particular that really, I think, uh, closed the loop for me there. Just being present and thinking of that in a particular context was enough for you to take a step back and reassess your life? Yeah, well, I think like it all culminated with that, that final activity. What the activity asked you to do, and you know, the Lama said this is what he did with all of his students, is to lie in bed at night before you go to sleep and just imagine the whole process of, imagine that you've just died. And then what that would, what the impact would be to your family, to your friends, to yourself, which is an interesting concept, <laughs> considering you've died. What does the afterlife look like to you? What does, well, how does it feel? And I was 
shocked because first of all I was thinking I don't know if I want to do that exercise <laughs> that sounds very unpleasant but if there's something I've learned it's that the most valuable experiences in life uh, sometimes come from unpleasant things I thought you know what the heck I should give it a go how did you prepare for that first night where you did that oh god I just kind of I think I'm a very positive person naturally. You know, I was like, okay, I'm sure there's going to be a positive outcome, even if it's really horrific at the time. So I think that's kind of the attitude I went in with. But the experience of doing the exercise for me, it's very confronting. It felt, yeah, I went through, you know, there's a myth that you go through stages of grief when someone passes away. But the reality is that you actually kind of go through uh, cycles and they'll oscillate back and forth again. So you'll go from grief to another feeling to another feeling and it doesn't have the same cleanness that they suggest it once had. And I certainly felt that mix of emotions and that was on a micro level because it was all hypothetical. No one had really died. It was just in my imagination. But it's such a powerful exercise to do to truly feel those feelings on that deep level. And I think the one that stood out for me was regret. So that was moving. I've got two questions. How long did that first time take? And did you do it again? Or do you do it regularly? Um, never tried it again. <laughs> Just the once. But I do wonder now that you mentioned that whether that would be valuable, it probably would, to check in again. But um, I think it went for about probably 10 minutes, but it was a full-on 10 minutes. So you'd obviously prepared for the exercise and, and followed the instruction. Were you emotionally charged? Were you able to sleep afterwards or were, were you wide awake and, and already had a realisation that something was different? I think I just kind of lay there for a while, just trying to process everything that I had just felt and try to make sense of it and try not to rush the process to be positive, but just waiting for the moment that it was so that I could restfully sleep that night. But I think I, you know, got out my journal and I just wrote down a bit of a stream of consciousness, you know, what was that like? What does that mean? And what do I need to do? The next day, did you start about doing the things you needed to do? Yeah. Straight away? <laughs> Straight away. It was, real, it was really a rude awakening for me. I thought, yeah, why, why wait? I, the first step for me was to look at my career because I was doing things I was skilled at, uh, but not necessarily things I was passionate about or that were rewarding for me. So I was that was my biggest when I was feeling that regret lying there part of it was due to you know quality of relationships but the other part of it was due to why am I doing something that doesn't bring me joy that was step one for me the easiest step than healing those relationships <laughs> start with the purpose and what did you do how quickly did you put a plan into place I think it took about a week I was just thinking I mean, I was one of those kids who wanted to do everything. I wish I could live to be about 300 so I could train to be a philosopher and an archaeologist and a zoologist, everything imaginable. So the idea that I had to choose one career was always heartbreaking for me <laughs> from the start. But I think, yeah, so it took a week to kind of cycle through what 
that actually might look like for me. And that's when I started writing down what my passions were and what rewards I actually wanted in life. And at what stage did you bring other people into your thought process? Did you keep it to yourself for a long time or did you consult with people close to you? Well, I had just recently moved in with my partner and I think he was a bit surprised that as soon as I moved in, I was rethinking my whole future <laughs> career-wise. He's a very stable, like he enjoys um, mastering something and then doing that, like dedicating his life to that, which I really admire. And yeah, I think he was a bit thrown by the process, but I did tell him about it. You know, I was very excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I told him what I'd done in the exercise and he was like, okay, well, if that was valuable for you, I'm glad. <laughs> What happened next? So I applied for postgraduate study in uh, counselling at Murdoch University. And that was quite different to what you were doing before? Very different. So I come from a background in marketing and creative works like branding and design. So I had excellent creativity and excellent technical skills, but my human skills, you know, actually in contributing to humanity in a way that felt meaningful to me. That was an area I had to develop. And I'd spent that week thinking, how can I bring that to life? How can I help people meaningfully? And honestly, I couldn't think of anything more meaningful than helping someone through the biggest challenges in their life. And were you working at the time? And so you gave up a career to become a student again? Yes. It was certainly tricky, but I have a strong faith in myself. I I believed that I could get back on my feet and correct everything. When I say correct everything, I mean, you know, have some stability (laughs) and get some money in the bank again after, you know, a year of studying. Now, you'd studied before when you'd got your original degree and and before your career started. Did you approach this study differently now that it was a really passion driven process and also for you that there'd been this revelation? Absolutely. It helped to be several years older. <laughs> I think when you go to university, when you're 18 or 19, you know, you're still learning who you are and what you're good at. Um, and I was still trying to be cool, so I didn't want to ask questions in class, you know. Uh, I just, I was very focused on the social aspect in my first part of study. So, you know, how could I make new friends? How could I go to the pub more? <laughs> but I still got great marks, you know, because um, I take pride in doing well. But how I approached the second part of my study, this postgraduate, was very different. I'd really embraced who I was as an introvert and as a reflective person. I wasn't afraid to look silly. So I asked all kinds of silly questions in class and I was very committed to my study. The postgraduate work was around what topic, what area? So the degree itself is called um, counselling, but what it actually encompasses is counselling and psychotherapy, which is essentially the study of how you can support people in a a people approach. So the difference between counselling, psychotherapy and, for example, psychology or psychiatry is that you're not studying the person's brain, you're not studying their symptoms, you're learning to be with them as a person. 
And that is a very unique and difficult to achieve skill some of the time because you have to overcome judgment. You have to overcome many difficult human emotions that, that we have to be with someone truly. But that was what was required for that degree and I fully embraced that. Did you find it challenging being vulnerable or trying to understand other people? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you can't design the perfect patient to come in and see you. So a lot of people do have, you know, difficult stories. And when I say difficult, I mean trying to relate to people's trauma is very difficult because it's so different for everybody and so personal to them. Trying to relate to people who've gone through the prison system, people who've hurt other people, people who, you know, have... They want to do things that are deemed unacceptable by society for reasons that because they're confronting to us. Trying to relate to people on those levels is very difficult. What was the one thing that had the biggest impact on you during this period of starting to be a counsellor? I think what was a revelation for me, it's probably two parts to that. The first one is I thought I knew myself better than I actually did. So I think I had this real confidence, like, I know who I am, like, <laughs> time to get in and just be myself. But there's so, people are like onions, you know, as, they, as Shrek would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we have a lot of layers. And when it comes to understanding who we are, every time you reveal a new layer of yourself, there are many other layers beneath that. And they get more complex as they go. So I think being thrown into the study of people really peeled back layers quickly for me because I had to get very comfortable with myself, the good parts and the not so good parts as well, um, and just embrace it all as me. You did this study, you went off on a tangent, got right into human services, understanding people, working with people. What happened after the studies and where has that led you? When I completed my study, I knew that Although everything I had learned in the past year was amazing, my future was not one-to-one with the patient. And I think trying to map out what that looked like, trying to marry my two backgrounds of being a creative person working in communications and then working with people in that deeply vulnerable (laughs) space, I didn't know what that looked like. So that was my biggest challenge for me graduating figuring out what that looked like but then I don't know I don't I think it's a little cheesy sometimes to say the universe steps in occasionally but then now and then it just does and that's kind of what happened to me so a role became available which just combined both of them and I'd never seen anything like it before and I applied and they said it's you you're the one (laughs) you say that the universe brings things together And maybe it does, maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's just timing. But interestingly, the world of the corporate world, business world, there's this latent realisation that the biggest asset is still the people and it's about understanding how you can relate your business to those people and those people relate to to the business. So obviously there is immense opportunities to combine classic communication methodologies with this clear understanding of humans 
what makes them vulnerable, what makes them become aligned to something and, and become passionate and emotional about something. Perhaps for you, the universe might have come together at one time, but I think there was a great opportunity for that to happen anyway. Yeah, I think um, it's a whole new world for me trying to make these connections, but I am glad that, yeah, these opportunities exist and I'm glad that people are integrating positive psychology and putting people first um, and combining that with business because those things should go together, even though sometimes we don't think they do. Eleanor, you said that book had a dramatic impact. That particular exercise that you did had had an amazing impact. Without digging too deep and be comfortable in revealing what you want to reveal, how did it really change your life in terms of the way you feel and approach life? I think it changed the way I view my role in my life. And there's a series of events that led up to this, but that book was a a trigger that set that reaction off for me. And essentially it changed. I see myself as being the decision maker in my life, which sounds absurd. We are all the main decision makers in our own life. But is that truly how we live our lives? Um, For me, the answer was no. I was being guided by others which is fantastic some of the time but you do need to say in your own life you need to drive your own life so that started that realization for me that I need to change my role. How did it impact on relationships with people people that knew you well did things change? Yeah it's been it's been a long process but I would say yes this whole process has taught me a valuable lesson in the importance of being myself and living, its I think it's an overused word, but living authentically, what that actually means, that can mean letting people down, that can mean upsetting people, that can mean all kinds of things that would have upset, that would have made me be very afraid <laughs> at the start of this process. But then through my study and through, you know, the, this book as well, just kind of leaning into that and just accepting bad things are gonna happen, good things are gonna happen. It's just part of my process. Do you revisit the book? No, but you know what? When I I pulled it out recently to get reacquainted with it, and I think there's a lot more in there for me now. I'm kind of tempted to just read a quarter of it every quarter of my life, but you know. That's an interesting way to approach it. But who knows how long I'll live, so maybe I should just (laughs) read it all now. Eleanor, how are you approaching what's going to happen next. I'm really interested to know because being in the present and letting things evolve, especially when you're combining it with this concept of you're in control and you're driving your own life. Is there a paradox there? There certainly is a paradox. I wish I could say things all came together nicely, but if there's one thing I've learned about humans, it's that a lot of our beliefs and a lot of our the things we hold dearest don't necessarily go together. Um, And I think one of those things is being present and planning for the future, but that's a balance we need to manage. And it makes sense to us all individually, so. As we wind up, a little while ago, you talked about faith in yourself. And for me, that's small f faith, where it's about your spiritual being, your spiritual understanding of yourself. 
Do you think that's going to play an important role going forward? I definitely think so. I think I, I'd like to think that we all have that infinite potential idea. Um, and I think there's a bit of privilege involved with that too, um, that I acknowledge that I have that privilege and I am able to achieve a lot of that potential, which I'm very grateful for. But yes, I think having faith, small f, faith in myself and my abilities will open all the doorways I need to be able to just do more, be more. As we finish, is there any piece of advice you'd give to others? You're a young person and the opportunity to reinvent yourself, reshape your career, reshape your life is, is there and you've, you've taken the opportunity to do that. But I guess that can happen for anybody at any stage in their life. So what advice would you have for others who perhaps feel that they need to do something or that they may have some regrets? The advice I would give those people is everybody has regrets. It's, the, it's, it's human. It's very normal. But that you have the power to change the main things you need to change to you know, die with one or two regrets instead of 20 or 30. <laughs> You'll never get through them all, I don't think. But the ones that matter, you can. On Max's Island, we love to live every day as if it is our last. So thanks for reinforcing our approach to life. And congratulations on the opportunity to realise that you can be something else, or do something differently and achieve what you want to achieve. So thanks for being on the island. Thank you. It was lovely to be here. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur. Oh, work and no play and how. How had it turned out this way? He told me his plan A short-term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmun track Go it alone No one to blame If he finished Or fell by the way No one's an island But sometimes it's good to pretend
every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone, and nothing, nothing he needed to do. He owns an island, and sometimes it's good to pretend. Go for a hike, your burden's just on your back. Sometimes